Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Good morning, Ritman Grace, Brethren Church. <clears throat> Excuse me, <laughs> had to clear my throat. Good morning, great to be here with you now that my voice is back. Um, like Pastor Bud said, uh, hopefully you were able to make it here okay. I know I took a, a little bit different uh, direction here this morning to avoid some of those hills, but uh, glad to be here and glad for uh, those of us that are tuning in online as well. Um, my name's Clark, I'm one of the leaders on our staff, and um, if, whether I've met you or whether I haven't met you, I'd love to uh, just catch up a little bit after service if you stick around, and i uh, love to see how things are going with you and your family. We're going to continue in a sermon series that we started a few weeks back called The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, and as you can imagine, we're talking about spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. And uh, we've had a lot of fun, at least I know I've had a lot of fun talking about uh, teaching on some of these disciplines. I'm excited to continue that this morning. Um, if you're just now jumping in with us, or if you maybe missed some of the past week sermon messages on the disciplines, I encourage you to go to our website, ritmangrace.org, and you can get all caught up. And we also have um, them on iTunes and Spotify. You can access them as well. And we'd love to serve you in that way. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. Those are there for you. Just to recap a little bit and kind of, I think it's helpful just to kind of circle back around and talk about kind of why we're in a series like this. Why would we take time to talk about the spiritual disciplines? Um, well, there's a really helpful verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this idea of godliness and he tells uh, Timothy, the person he's writing to at a church in Ephesus, he says that we are to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So the reason that we practice spiritual disciplines is to become more and more godly, which really begs a good question, right? What is godliness, right? Um, in this series, we've been saying that godliness is growing closer to Christ and growing in conformity to Christ, right? We want to look more and more like the person that we claim that we're following, right? If we're Christ followers, we want to look more and more like Jesus Christ. So how do you do that? How do you become more godly? How do you look more like Jesus? You do that by practicing the spiritual disciplines. So basically what we've been doing throughout this series is we have been looking at uh, these spiritual disciplines individually uh, each week. We've been talking about them and trying to, to do our best to just give some practical suggestions in order to incorporate these disciplines into our lives. We also said this, that the spiritual disciplines, uh, just that word discipline, maybe it's just our North American mindset, but the word discipline, we tend to think negatively about it when we hear and uh, see that word. Uh, but the spiritual disciplines, they're not burdensome. They're not restrictive. They're actually liberating. They're freeing. When we practice these disciplines, we uh, discover that we start to live the lives that God has called us to live, to, to look more and more like Jesus. And so far in the series, we've talked about uh, three of the disciplines so far. In week one, we talked about the importance of getting into the Bible getting into God's Word. Um, week two, we looked at the importance of prayer and how we always need to be constantly in prayer. And then last week, if you were with us, uh, Pastor Bud talked about the importance of worship 
And uh, if you missed that, like I say, you can go back and get caught up on those. I encourage you to do that. So today we want to continue the sermon series and we will talk about our next spiritual discipline. Today we want to talk about the spiritual discipline of evangelism. The spiritual discipline of evangelism. What is evangelism? Well, there's probably a lot of different definitions that you could uh, get if you do a Google search of this word, but I would say in its simplest form, it's really just sharing your faith with somebody else. It's sharing your faith in Jesus Christ with someone else who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Uh, some people, you know, I've heard it referred to as uh, soul winning, right? Winning others to Christ, but you're essentially just sharing your faith in Jesus with somebody else. And I'll be honest with you, uh, even as a, a church leader, right, uh, evangelism can be kind of intimidating, right? It's an intimidating task, and it can be a little bit scary sometimes when we think about uh, sharing our faith with somebody else. And maybe part of that's okay, because it is, it is a big deal. But at the same time, right, it is something that we're called to do. And if people know you, then they should know that you love Jesus. If you're a Christian, they should know that you love Jesus. If somebody knows me, they, they're going to know, you know, eventually they'll know that I love Mexican food, right? <laughs> if they know Clark, they're going to know uh, that I love to play guitar, right? They know that I love my wife, Amanda, too. And they'll also know that I love my son. And hopefully they'll know that I love Jesus, right? Um, sometimes, if I'm being honest, though, I can trick myself into thinking that, you know, if I just live a good enough life, Right? People are just going to come and ask me to sh if I could share my faith with them. Right? And um, maybe, maybe you can identify with that too. Maybe you have um, certain things that you trick yourself into thinking sometimes. If you're a follower of Jesus, I think some of us, we might think, if I go to people with the gospel, then I might turn them off. Right? Or, you know, people don't want to hear the gospel. Right? They, they don't want to be bothered with that message. Others of us, we could think, you know, I can't share Christ with that person because I don't have a good enough relationship with them. And some of us, we just think of the word evangelism and we just think, I don't want to stand on a corner and preach at people or knock on doors. Like, that sounds terrifying, right? All of these, uh, a lot of these are just misconceptions that we have about evangelism. And that's why I think the passage that we're going to look at this morning is going to be really, really helpful. Because the Apostle Paul, what he does this passage that we're going to look at this morning, he's going to talk about this idea of what it means to be an ambassador. That's a word that you don't hear every day. So what's an ambassador? Let's talk about this idea of an ambassador for a second. Uh, the President of the United States has several dozen ambassadors that are stationed in embassies all around the world. Uh, these are men and women who represent the President of the United States. They travel to different countries, different continents, and they are representing the President of the United States. They have the documentation to, to show that that's what they're doing. And they you know, show leaders of other countries, people in other different parts of the world, like, I am an ambassador, a representative of the President of the United States. Now, the reason I tell you that is because that's exactly what Paul says that Christians are. They're ambassadors, representatives of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let me show you what I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A little background before we dive in. Uh, the Apostle Paul is the, the author of 2 Corinthians. 
And uh, he's writing this letter at this particular point in the letter. He's talking about this idea of what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. The question is, what does he want us to do as an ambassador of Christ? What do we need to keep in mind? What changes do we need to make about our outlook on life once we realize that we are ambassadors for Christ as Christians were ambassadors? And these are the questions I think that we can answer this morning when we look at this passage. And it'll really help us, equip us to have the right mindset when we do Christian evangelism. So let's look at this passage and talk about it a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 16. It says this, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Okay, I just want to pause there for a second. Um, right before this, Paul sends a message in verse 15. I think that's helpful to see as well. Uh, it's a really clear message. It's a very powerful message. But Paul says this in verse 15. He says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So this helps us, gives us a little bit of context as we're following Paul's train of thought here. Notice what Paul says again. He says, Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him, for Jesus. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that it's no longer about me. It's no longer about you, but it's about Jesus. It's about our King Jesus and what is near and dear to his heart, what he's passionate about. It's the difference between a person waking up and asking themselves, what do I want to do today? And someone waking up and asking themselves, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? And so with that line of thinking, he carries over that thought to verse 16. Let's go back to verse 16 again and notice what he says here. So from now on, notice, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, right? I'm not living for myself. I'm living for Christ. I'm seeing things through the lens of Christ. And Paul says, we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. What does that mean? That means this, that we have different ways of looking at people. This, this worldly point of view that Paul's talking about, we tend to do this. If you ever meet somebody for the per first time, you tend to ask them, right? Where do you live? Where do you, where do you work? Right? What do you do? And part of that's okay. It's just the way we make conversation. But what we're doing is we're using these things called identity markers, right? And we're kind of sizing people up, right? When, when we see, you know, what occupation do you have? Where do you live? Where are you from? Um, you know, what, you, you start to kind of size people up a little bit, right? Are you single? Are you married, right? Or how much education do you have? Um, do you root for Ohio State or Michigan? That one might actually matter. But Paul's saying this, he's challenging us, he's kind of pushing back on that a little bit. And what Paul is saying is, is we no longer view people that way. We no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. And what Paul is essentially saying here is that there's actually just two categories in which we ought to view people now as followers of Christ. There's people who follow Jesus and there's people who don't follow Jesus. What Paul is saying is it has nothing to do with how much money a person makes. It has nothing to do with their ethnicity, where they're from, how much education they have. It has everything to do with whether does this person follow Jesus or does this person not follow Jesus. Paul kind of drives, uh, draws this dividing line 
so to say. And he doesn't do this so that we can say, okay, well, I'm just going to isolate myself and just be with all the Christians. That I'm just going to live inside my Christian bubble and be a part of this Christian subculture. That's not what Paul's doing. He's, he's trying to help us understand our responsibilities as ambassadors. If you're an ambassador, right, if the president of the United States has an ambassador, he, he doesn't just look at them and say, okay, you're an ambassador, right? Go do ambassador stuff. No, they, they become an ambassador of a foreign land, right? So in the same sense, as ambassadors for Christ, we're ambassadors for people who don't know Jesus Christ. That's who we are ambassadors to. Notice what he says next, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. So notice what he says. You're a new creation. He says the new is here, and other translations, maybe in the translation you're reading from, it uses the word it prefaces with the word behold. Behold, the new is here. Why does the biblical writers do that? They do that because they're trying to mark a moment that's unusual. That's why if you look at this verse in Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Paul's basically saying this is a big deal, right? This is a bigger deal than the exodus from Egypt. This is a bigger deal than the deliverance from Babylon. This is the deliverance from your bondage of Satan's sin and death. You're a new creation in Christ. You don't think the same way that you used to think. You don't do the same things that you used to do. There's almost kind of like a, a Holy Spirit cringe that happens. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but it's almost like you watch a movie or a television series that you used to watch with your friends, and you're just like, you know what? I just I don't really desire to watch this. It is, has nothing to do with being holier than thou, but it has everything to do with the fact that the Holy Spirit gives you new desires, and you start to see people different, and you start to view situations differently, and you start to kind of have a holy hunger to you because of your new identity in Christ. By the way, that phrase, in Christ, you could do a whole series on that. There's a lot there. But basically, Paul's saying that there's something different about you. The moment that you expressed your faith in Jesus Christ, right? And so when there's this sin that's happening around us, when we live in a broken world, because we live in a broken world, the first thing we need to remember as ambassadors of Christ, you can write this down, an ambassador remembers this isn't their home. An ambassador remembers that this isn't their home. When we're surrounded by brokenness, right? When we're surrounded by this sinful world, right? And, and sometimes we fall back into some of that stuff, right? Not all the time, but sometimes. We need to remember that we're ambassadors in a foreign land. That this is not as good as it gets. That there's something better to look forward to, right? That one day for followers of Jesus, right? There's going to be no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. But for right now, as ambassadors of Christ, we've been given a job to do. That's why in Hebrews chapter 13, the author says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What's he saying? He's saying that we are in a foreign land, that this is not as good as it gets. But like I said, as ambassadors, for right now, for the time being, our job is to be ambassadors to people who don't know Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul says in verse 18. He says this, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So let's talk about this idea of reconciliation a little bit. Notice he, he mentions that a couple times in the passage we just read. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is essentially this. There was a relationship between us and God, and that relationship was broken because of sin entering the world. And so we were no longer able to be part of the family of God. And so God sends Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to die a death we could not die, to pay a debt we could not pay. And he rose from the grave, conquering, defeating Satan, sin, and death. And now it is possible that we can be reconciled to God again, to be part of God's family. And that's the good news of the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't stop with that. Notice what else he says. In verse 18, he says, He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then later on, verse 19, He committed to us this message of reconciliation. Sure, we get to receive the benefits of the good news of the gospel. Like Rob read earlier in our scripture reading, we were enemies of God, right? We were at odds with God. But then because Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection, we're invited to take part in that victory. But it, our journey doesn't stop there. Paul says we are invited to this ministry of reconciliation. He says, gave to us, committed to us. And that means that we get to partner with God, that we get to be on mission with what God is doing in the world. Notice what he says in verse 20. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. There's our word. As though God was making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What Paul's telling us, this is really, really profound, but it's very, very simple. You have been reconciled to God, and now it's your responsibility as an ambassador of Christ to encourage other people to be reconciled to God. And we could do this in one of two ways. We could be mean-spirited about it. We could stand on the corner, yell at people, holding signs up. Or we could sit next to a friend, sharing a cup of coffee, and we could say, listen, I don't know if you've thought about this, but there's been a brokenness that's taken place in our relationship with God. But God initiated by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die a death we couldn't die on the cross and to raise from the grave and to offer us that it is possible to, to experience reconciliation only through Christ. I suggest you go with the second way. Far too often we see Christians, they want to make a point, but they don't want to make a difference. It's really easy to make a point. I can get on Facebook real quick and make a point. But if I want to make a difference, I'm going to embrace the fact that I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm representing Jesus Christ, and I'm sharing a message, the message of the good news of the gospel. And the Bible says we can do this with gentleness and respect. The second thing an ambassador does is an ambassador brings a message from their leader. An ambassador brings a message from their leader. And just like the president would send an ambassador to take a message to a foreign land, to another country, another continent, another place in the world, Jesus Christ, we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives to take the good news of the gospel 
to people who don't know it. And this is basically the gospel in a nutshell. We see in verse 21, the Apostle Paul, this is probably one of my favorite verses, says this, God made him who knew no sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's reconciliation. That's what God did. All of our sin was poured, in, poured on to Jesus Christ on the cross. And then all of Christ's righteousness was poured on to us. We were clothed in Christ's righteousness. There is an exchange that was taken place. And Jesus was treated as a sinner on the cross. And it's that amazing news that we get to take to people. That's the message that we get to take to the world. And we get to tell people that reconciliation is possible. Some people have the gift of evangelism. And this comes natural to them. I am not like one of those people. If you're anything like me, the Bible says we have to do the work of an evangelist. And so whether you're called to lead evangelistic crusades or whether you're called to cultivate a relationship with an unsaved friend, family member, or coworker, we're all called to be ambassadors for Christ. The passage that we just read doesn't say, you're an ambassador for Christ if you have the gift of evangelism. That's not what it says. It says, if we follow Jesus, we're an ambassador. We're an ambassador for Christ. So let me try to be as practical as I know how to be now. In your notes, you'll notice it says, factors for making my evangelism effective. Let me take the next uh, couple minutes to just kind of walk us through these a little bit. So, so if I want to make my evangelism more effective, one of the things I want to do is I want to pay attention to my prayer life. I want to pay attention to my prayer life. Am I praying for people in my life that don't know the good news of the gospel? If we were to survey the early Christians in the New Testament, what we would discover and find out is that they relied a ton on prayer before they did anything for the Lord. And we see the Apostle Paul asking for prayer in Colossians chapter 4. We looked at that week 2 of this series and how we need prayer to make our words clear. And so prayer is, a, is an important factor with making our evangelism effective. Another thing that we need to pay attention to, if I want to make my evangelism more effective, um, my biblical knowledge is something that I need to, to consider. I would say if you know John 3.16, right? Just start sharing that with people. But I would also say it does help to have a basic understanding of God's plan of salvation, Right? Kind of the meta-narrative of the scriptures, right? That it all points to Jesus Christ. And so this is a, a helpful thing as well. And uh, another thing I would, I would encourage you as well is to get familiar with telling your story, right? Do I know how to tell my story? We see the Apostle Paul would use a story as a tool. We see this in the book of Acts. We see this in Philippians. Uh, we also see this in, in 1 Corinthians. And so... And when I tell my story, is God the hero of the story, right? Or am I, am I the hero of the story? Because God should be the hero of the story, and I should be more like a supporting character, right? So when you tell your story, people can see that, that you need Jesus and that they need Jesus. Another good uh, reference is in John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 9. We see the story of the, the, the blind man, and Jesus healed this man, and he had a story to tell. 
It was unexplainable and yet undeniable. So if you've come to know Christ, that means the same thing for you, that you have a story to tell. And so you can use that story to reach people in evangelism. Another thing I want to pay attention to in making my evangelism more effective is, is my attitude. Right? What's my attitude like? Um, tragically, we've seen Christians uh, do evangelism uh, without being motivated by love and humility. We have this incredible reminder in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul talks about how we can do a lot of noble deeds, but if it's not motivated by love, then it really will not accomplish anything. And so if, if I'm going to share Christ with somebody, I need to check my attitude. And then lastly, I would say this, right? If I want to make my evangelism effective, I need to pay attention to whether I'm being obedient or not. It's about my obedience. It's not about the results, right? I'm responsible for my obedience. I'm not responsible for the results of my obedience. That's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. That's why we pray, because without the power of conviction, right, there's nothing that we can do to help people come to know Christ other than being obedient. If you look at the parable of the four soils, Jesus talks about how a farmer went out to sow some seed, and he scattered the same seed in each situation, but the way that that seed was received, the Word of God, it was received differently. And in the same way, that's how it is with evangelism. When we are obedient, we're doing our part, but the results are up to God. But one thing is for sure, evangelism is the responsibility of every believer in Christ. So I want to invite the band to come up, and as they're getting settled in, just let me have a, a few closing thoughts to give you this morning. Just like Bible intake and just like prayer and worship, uh, Christians struggle to share their faith, right? Uh, this is one that easily slips off the radar. So whether we think, you know, if we go to people, right, we're going to turn them off with the gospel, whether we think people don't want to hear this, they don't want to be bothered with it, or whether we think, man, I can't share Christ with this person because I don't have a relationship with them, the solution to all these dilemmas are found in the passage that we just read in 2 Corinthians 5. When we embrace this paradigm that we are ambassadors living in a foreign land, this is not our home, right? that we have a job to do, we have a message to bring from our King Jesus, we realize that this is actually the line of thinking that we need to subscribe to when we do evangelism. right? We're not a used car salesman. right? We're, we're sharing our faith. right? And if people know you, they should know what you love. Right? Just like if they know me, they know I love my wife, they know I love my son, and they should also know that I love Christ. The reality is there's so much at stake. There's the eternal salvation of countless souls. Think of it this way. If a house was on fire and somebody was trapped on the third floor, about to be burned to death, and we were on the ground with a ladder laying there, right? we wouldn't dare say, I don't really have enough of a relationship with that person to help them. See, the reality is people are dying and they're headed to hell and we have the gospel ladder to extend to them and we're being selfish if we don't share that, if we don't offer that, regardless of how well we know the person. So people need to be reconciled to God. And for whatever reason, I have no idea why, but God chooses and uses his followers to be his ambassadors. And as ambassadors, right, we are sent with the message, the good news of the gospel. And so the obedience is our responsibility.
but the results are ultimately up to God. Let me pray for us. Well, God, we know that this is, uh, this is an incredible task that you've given your followers to, to be a part of. Um, Lord, it's, it can be intimidating, and it can be, uh, there's always that fear of rejection, uh, but it's something that we should be so excited about, the fact that you're inviting us to partner with you, the God of the universe, to help reconcile other people to you, God. Ultimately, it's all in your hands. Ultimately, it's really up to the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of, of men and women. But God, I pray that you would give us the boldness and give us the courage to go forth as your ambassadors to help people to be reconciled to you, God. Help us not to be passive in this. Help us to operate out of a sense of urgency, knowing that you care deeply about the lost people of Ritman and beyond. Lord, help us to go forth as your ambassadors. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.